How does one overcome a sex addiction? Today is part two in this discussion about overcoming lust and temptation in this episode of Recovery Support with Kevin Bergen. This is Recovery Support, and I'm Kevin Bergen, licensed psychotherapist. This show is to support those in recovery from sexually compulsive behavior and to offer that support with education, inspiration, and motivation. Today we're going to finish out the second of two parts as we read from the chapter in the essay White Book called Overcoming Lust and Temptation. Many times people are looking for simple point-by-point ways that they can find some success or sobriety. And this puts several points in place as it relates one member's experience on how he overcame his lust and his temptation. We're starting at the bottom of page 162 in the essay white book with point number 11. Get an essay sponsor. I needed someone who could see me better than I could, even though he might have had some problems of his own. Everyone I used as a sponsor had imperfections big enough to turn me away if I wanted such an excuse. It was my reaching out and taking direction that worked. I made regular contact and followed directions. It helped make me teachable and saved me a lot of grief and lost time. 12. Make friends in the program. My sexaholism had forced me away from true intimacy. I had become a loner and a love cripple. To recover, I had to begin coming out of isolation and connect with people. But I didn't know how. At first, I was forced to make phone calls to stay sober. Then, as I shared with others in my distress, and they shared their trials with me, a common bond developed. Partners in sobriety, what a boon. It helped change that lonely gray inner world of that separated self into the bright sunlight of glad times shared together. Victory over lust was not the grim experience I had feared. I was getting connected to life and began to feel impulses of joy. I was beginning to have what my lust had really been looking for. I can't have the inner freedom from the need to lust without this real connection. 13. Carry the message of your recovery. At first, I began by guardedly talking about my sexual obsession and desire for recovery to those who gave hints of similar problems. I didn't know this was part of working the 12th step. I was doing it because I wanted to. Then I started sharing the truth of my experience in other meetings I was going to. Very few ever responded, but the point is, it was helping me. Bill W. of AA used to say that 12th step work, quote, takes a little money and a lot of time. And I found that being willing to spend a fraction of the time and money on carrying the message of my recovery that I had spent on my habit helped keep me sober. When I give freely of my time and means in this manner, I get back the priceless gifts of freedom from lust plus joy and serenity. In the process, I've also taken the first faltering steps at learning how to love another human being. I couldn't ask for a bigger payoff. 
14. Practice taking the actions of love. Negative sobriety, simply not doing it, fizzles out after a while. That's all I had for many months. And that's why one day, with no particular problems and having just told my old high school friend that I was a recovered sex drunk, I proceeded to go back out there. I didn't know what hit me. I didn't slip. I fell. The crucial thing about my recovery is that unless I find what my lust is really looking for, I'm not going to make it. Stopping the negatives without connecting with the positive is no good. For the sexaholic like me, it's all or nothing. Half measures availed us nothing. Alcoholics Anonymous says this on page 59, and so it is with me. Program people taught me that right thinking never produced right actions. But if I took the right actions, the right thinking and feelings followed. I discovered in sexual sobriety that I was not inclined to touch my wife except when it was a sensual, erotic, or sexual thing. I never touched her simply as a person, a spiritual touch, if you will. But I learned that if I took the action of touching her as a person, the feeling of wanting to followed. I'll never forget the first time in sobriety when, after that awful separation and chaos, one day I was able to glance into her eyes and reach out and touch her arm and say thank you. How the power of love flowed through that connection. After I took the action, it brought tears to my eyes. Another time, my wife had fixed supper but my negative emotions had taken control again, and I was on my way out the door to nowhere. I managed to stop long enough to call my sponsor, who gruffly reminded me that it was Sunday and he was busy. None of my sponsors pretended to be saints. In 10 seconds, he saw through the problem, self-obsession, and said, quote, sit down and eat your supper, and hung up. I mechanically sat down and ate the supper she had prepared for me, and that awful feeling of having to run passed. I took the action, and the feeling followed. The greatest opportunity for practicing love is not in meetings, but in my own household. And that's the very place it's hardest to do. It's actually easier for me to pray for prostitutes and other SA members than take the actions of love toward my wife and children. But I have to do it, or I can't break through into life, and I want to live. Another action of love that seems to produce remarkable results is praying for my wife. Again, asking for her the very best that I want for myself. This goes along with one of the above items on practicing giving instead of taking. Since I had shut myself up to my spouse as the only sexual expression, I discovered in taking my own inventory that my dependency on her was unhealthy. As a result, I abstained sexually over a considerable period of time with her consent 
so I could deal with my dependency. Afterward, I concluded that I was willing to go without sex completely as long as my dependency was still infected with any aspect of buying and selling. Wife or no wife, we simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence on God. That's found in Alcoholics Anonymous on page 98. Thus, every time I had a negative feeling about my wife, I prayed for her. I didn't feel like doing it, but I did. It works. But I have to be willing to give up the resentment and forgive. That's where steps 6 and 7 come in. 15. Recognize and feed your hunger for God. As I came into another stage of awareness, I began to sense that my most basic drive was neither sex nor power nor whatever, but my spiritual hunger, my God drive, the need for God himself. It seems what I'm really looking for in these visual drinking bouts with lust as I walk down the glamorous avenues of the world is a connection. What I really want is to make the big C with the source of my life. And in my illness, woman is the source of my being, my God. Lust deceives me into believing that is what I cannot live without, when it's really God I can't live without. Thus, another technique I use successfully in the moment of temptation is to ask before turning the head and drinking. Quote, Whatever it is I'm really looking for right now, let me please find it in you, unquote. Again and again and again, with every person I'm attracted to, this prayer goes up. It works for me. And what better way to take the 11th step? This principle of displacement works for all my negative emotions. I fill the place that lust or resentment or fear or judging another would take in my mind with the presence of God. Substitute the real for the unreal. I reach out for God in that situation. It helps to close my eyes while doing this. 16. Cast it out. There are certain times when I felt like I was walking through a lust minefield with charges going off all around me. It was so unusually severe and persistent that I've wondered if I were under some kind of attack. At such times, I've taken the extreme measure of casting it out vocally as though it were a foreign evil presence, not in my own power or authority, but in the power and authority of my higher power. I don't claim to understand this, and I don't make a big deal about it, but it's worked for me when I seemed otherwise totally at the mercy of what was going on. In ensuing years, I've heard other members share similar experiences. 17. Take refuge in God. Often I call on God's presence as a shield to protect me from my own lust or emotions or from the lust or emotions of others. Again, 
As soon as I feel overwhelmed or see the image in the corner of my eye and want to turn and drink, I'll say, I take your presence to shield me from my lust or whatever it is. But I have to take up that shield. I have to turn to him for refuge. Another telegram for help I send up today after some years of sobriety is something like this. I don't want any part of this lust or other negative emotion or attitude. I want you to take it. It works every time, but I have to give it away. 18. Look lust in the eye. Now I'm also discovering a new way of dealing with the day's temptations so they won't come back and hit me in my dreams. I've noticed that instead of true surrender, I can sometimes during the day push lust down out of sight by sheer willpower. There have been times after doing this when lust has later resurfaced in, er in erotic dreams in such a way that I knew I could act out sexually in my sleep without even touching myself and knowing I had the choice. How super powerful those temptations are and scary. They get your attention. I've had enough of those close calls to take preventive action. Just before going to sleep, I deliberately recall to my mind's eye each lust temptation that stuck with me during the day, looking that person full in the face. I bring each person to the light before God as I surrender, admitting my powerlessness over lust. I say, you know my heart, how I really want to lust. I send it away to you. Come be victorious over my lust. I don't want any of it, conscious or subconscious. I want you to bear it for me. Please keep me sober from all my lust tonight. Often, I'll add a prayer for that person involved in my temptation going outward in giving. It's my way of staying clean at the subconscious level. It's also my way of coping with fear of falling in my sleep. Summary These various ways of overcoming lust take practice, but they work. It took many years to program myself to lusting as I did. I found it takes time to stop that and program myself to reality. Whenever I began any of the above techniques, it felt artificial and forced. I didn't want to do it. It didn't feel right. I try not to trust those diseased feelings anymore. They're what got me here. Taking some of these measures was like killing off part of me. They were so much against my natural inclinations. But I found that what I needed to be set free was to take such forceful stands against my old ways of thinking and doing. These were breakthroughs into right action. I always have to remember that it's not the person out there that's causing my lust and discomfort. It's me. This brings up one final point. The lust I want to stay sober from is my lust. I made it what it is. I am a lustaholic. In the same way, I am a resentful and angry person, a judging and condemning person, a fearful person. There's no healing for me 
if I deny, evade, or cover my defects. I'm as sick as my secrets. On the other hand, I can live free of the power any and all these defects have over me by resorting to God instead of such negative emotions. I thus have a daily, hourly reprieve from my lust, etc., based on maintaining the right attitude. And I maintain the right attitude by working the steps and traditions and going to meetings, 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 meetings. God has apparently not chosen to eradicate my defective self so that I'm no longer capable of lust, resentment, fear, and the rest. If he ever did that, I'd have no need of him. I'd be an automaton. It's progressive victory over my defects that's the name of the game. I myself am what could be called a sinner. But I take from God the power I don't have in myself to transcend my sins. Victory through powerlessness by the grace of God. That's the beautiful paradox of this program. In and through my powerlessness, I receive the power and love that come from above. And that's the difference between self-denial and surrender. Self-denial, white-knuckling it, brought misery and failure. Acknowledging what I am, surrendering, and relying on God's power bring release, freedom, and joy. Recovery is an inside job. The above list of suggestions on overcoming lust will be forever incomplete, as will the experiences reflected in this book. Everyone who stays sober and grows in recovery will add to our collective experience what works for them. Our lives, such as they are, are the real book known and read of all men. As time goes by, more is revealed, and it keeps getting better. This is the great adventure of recovery from sexaholism. And that concludes that chapter in the essay White Book, Overcoming Lust and Temptation. Again, this week, we're going to close with the third step prayer found on page 95 of the essay White Book or page 63 of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous or by Googling third step prayer. If you know it, please join me. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Thank you for joining me this week. You can now follow me on Twitter, where my ID is clearhelp. And you can find my Twitter profile link on my website, kevinbergen.com. You can also email me at kbrecoverysupport.com. The Recovery Support Podcast does not promote any program or fellowship, 
and only informs about resources that I've found helpful to my clients. And you can always refer to the show notes for the show at recoverysupport.podbean.com. Have a terrific week and have a sober day.